Mother Teresa Middle School is a Jesuit nativity school that aims to break the cycle of poverty among disadvantaged youth and journeys with indigenous communities toward truth and reconciliation. To find out more, visit www.mtmschoolregina.com. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Dr. Mario Sacasa. He is the Associate Director of the Faith and Marriage Apostolate of the Will Woods Community. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and operates a private counseling practice in New Orleans, Louisiana. Dr. Sacasa creates and hosts the Always Hope Podcast, which is a long-form interview show aimed at helping the listener grow in their emotional and spiritual health. He is married and has four sons. I really wanted to talk with Dr. Sakasa because there seems to be a nostalgia for the time when marriage was respected. And I think people are coming up with some very unhealthy tropes about male-female relationships, the role of the woman in the marriage, in ways that are deeply disrespectful, but also a farce. I mean, those things never existed. People will sort of harken back to the age of the cleavers, when in reality, it was the age of the Little Rock Nine. (laughs) And that was the reality of America. That was the reality of what was happening in human relationships. And the cleavers were an imagined family. And the way in which they related among themselves was not true in terms of how marriage and family played out at that age in our country's time. The reality was that little girl, I'll say Carlotta Walls, because I just read an article about her walking to school, not the Cleavers. The reality was the bombing of Carlotta Walls' house, not the Cleavers. The reality was the abuse of the legal system, not the Cleavers. The reality was America was in turmoil. It was not this grand, peaceful, happy time of simple relationships and easy marriages. It just wasn't the case. And I think it's dangerous when people mythologize marriage because then you're building up a false hope for something that never really existed and something that never can exist because we are human and we have our brokenness and we need to be able to navigate that. And so I have a pretty broad conversation with Dr. Sakasa that talks about dating in this age with apps and websites and how do you navigate that to marriage, long-term marriage. What happens when the people in your marriage change? Is that expected? Is that healthy? Is that somebody new to love? How do we address this? And so I have all these conversations with Dr. Sakasa, including how children impact relationships, marriages, and how might we handle that? So stay tuned for more of that discussion coming up next. At America Media, we're committed to hosting real conversations at the intersection of the church and the world. We do it every day, online, in print, in podcasts, in videos, and in fact, We've just released a new documentary on our YouTube channel that tells the story of an historic Black Catholic parish in Cleveland, Ohio, that had to fight to stay open amidst parish closures 
and clustering. And I watched the documentary and what I found interesting in it is the human aspect of these people persevering in the faith, not walking away from the faith and doing it in a way that actually led to their parish being reopened against all odds. It's really a must watch. And we put the link in the show notes so that you can go and watch it. And this is the kind of content that America is producing every day. And the best way to support it, to support us, to support my podcast too, is by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. Stick around. My conversation with Dr. Mario Sacasa is up next. Dr. Sakasa, I know. Can I call you Mario? I'm sure you're okay with that since we have a common friend, Father Josh Johnson. <laughs> Gloria, you, you can call me Mario. You can call me Dr. Sakasa. Just, you know, obviously I've been called a lot of things being a therapist. So, so, uh, <laughs> so whatever you want, we'll, we'll roll with. <laughs> That's fine. If I call you Dr. M, to me, it sounds too much like a James Bond villain. No, don't. Yeah, Dr. Oh, M is absolutely James Bond villain. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. Okay, I'll just call you Mario. But you know, I am so glad to have you on the podcast. I should have met you a while ago because you hosted, along with my friend, Father Josh, a retreat for Black Catholic married couples. And I was going to go on that retreat, but it didn't work schedule-wise. So I would have met you a long time ago. Tell me about a little bit about that retreat, because I want people to understand that you you do the love thing too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I work for a ministry called the Will Woods Community Faith and Marriage Apostolate. And this ministry was started here in the Archdiocese of New Orleans over 40 years ago, and it was dedicated to create marriage retreats. And so we do nine to 12 married couples retreats a year here in New Orleans. And I came on board in this ministry about three years ago. And just thinking about kind of what we can continue to do to grow our audience, but really more than that, just to meet needs. And mm. I think as in any ministry, we always want to assess where the needs are and how our particular gifts and talents and resources are able to meet certain needs. And I felt that we were lacking in retreats that honestly just had representation and cultural representation. Mm -hmm. And so I had the idea of wanting to do a retreat for Black Catholic couples probably about a year before we actually did it, I would say. And so started floating that idea out to the different ministries here in the Archdiocese in New Orleans and in Baton Rouge. And so finally, you know, Father Josh was a mutual friend of ours, like you said, him and I, we connected on it and we're like, well, let's just do it together. And so we did. And the intention for it was to use our same model that we have for our retreats, follow the same model, but just make it more culturally appropriate to the Black Catholic experience. Mm. And I think we were able to accomplish that. And I'm looking to do some for Hispanic couples as well. I'm Latino myself. Mm -hmm. So I understand the value of doing things within certain communities. I think people misconstrue that sometimes and think that that's, well, what are you saying? You're saying that white people can go on that retreat or is that exclusionary for others? I'm saying, no, yeah, not at all. Right. There's just something about you know, we already do retreats that are parish specific. And if a parish here in Louisiana or Mississippi wants to sponsor a weekend and have a retreat specifically for their people, then we're already targeting a certain demographic. That demographic just happens to be geographic, which is right. what a parish is. Mm -hmm. And so just changing the variable to say, no, we just want to target a different demographic to be able to offer a similar kind of cohesive experience, then we can do that. And I think what resulted was really just a beautiful weekend where the couples who were present there had a really great time. I think they felt really connected to one another. I think it brought a sense of kind of fellowship that was rich and uh, that was real. 
Wow, that's so exciting. But it shows to me that you just, you have a lot of experience talking with married couples and also can do things specific in a cultural context as well for those who are interested in that. But I know that you also probably have a lot of advice you could give us around dating as well. And since we just celebrated say Valentine's Day or Valentine's Day, as some people call it, sometimes they just drop the saying out and just say Valentine's Day. (laughs) But, you know, what do you think about the holiday? Are you like, ah, don't believe the hype? Or you're like, it's something that we can, a tradition that maybe we can save, like other planned date nights. They can help nurture a relationship. What are your thoughts? I guess maybe a little bit of both. I mean, Mm. there's a part of it where certainly it's become a hallmark holiday and there's a commercialization aspect of it that we can't be ignorant and say that people aren't wanting to profit by it. But then there is something to be said about dedicating a certain day out of the year that isn't just your anniversary, that isn't a birthday, but that communally as a culture, we can kind of acknowledge that, wow, you know, love does have its place. Romance relationships do have their place and they need to be honored and valued to some degree. And so I think that there is something to be said about setting aside a day to recognize that. Now, of course, you can go crazy with it and spend way too much money on every kiss begins with K or, you know, he went to Jared's or, you know, all those commercials are flying high right now. And so, you know, I I don't I don't think the answer is all of that. But I think if the intention is to be able to say we're going to take a day that just honors our relationship, then I think that that's fine. But I'm also wondering how people who are single you know, what's Valentine's Day like for people who aren't married? Maybe they're dating, maybe not in a serious relationship. You know, I think about all that combined with the kind of dating culture now that is very different from when I was, I don't even know if I'd consider what I was doing dating because I was in college and met my husband and that was it. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I had like one or two boyfriends and I was like, you hit the curb buster. You made me mad. I don't want to be like you. So, you know, I had a lot more in-person meeting of a person, they were kind of vetted already. But with dating apps, I mean, it's all this virtual talking, you know, and I mean, do they ever eventually meet each other in real life? I guess so. But it just, to me, that seems really much harder to connect and develop relationships when everything is so virtual. And you've got the people who will ghost somebody, they'll catfish. There's all these kinds of things in the modern world that, I mean, you just couldn't go somebody, you couldn't just meet them and then disappear or never meet them and just disappear because in the old style, there was a concrete, you know, relationship. You had to see each other face to face. I don't know. Do you think these dating apps or dating online, what should we do with them? I guess, are we keeping them or should we, you know, run away from these virtual things and actually demand that everything in the beginning be in person? What do you think? Yeah, so I just released this online course on dating called Dating Well. Mm. And it's 19 lessons that really kind of take couples and individuals kind of by the hand through and just let them see a natural progression of what a relationship should look like and then kind of help them with their discernment and decision making. And so considering that dating is an act of discernment, I wanted to be able to kind of give some very clear kind of guidance as to what that process could look like and should look like. And so one of the lessons, though, is on dating apps. And so as I was kind of doing my research on it, because, you know, I know we were sharing just before we started recording, I too, like you, I met my wife in college and I've been married now for 19 years. So that was like before, just when cell phones themselves were getting popular. Like, I mean, like not even a smartphone. Right. I mean, this was like, like, I remember when like my friends got a cell phone, period, that could just call. That was even yeah. before texting was a thing. I mean, like, right, this right. Sound, I sound so old saying it. Right. So entering into this world and preparing and doing some research, I felt 
a little overwhelmed also, kind of seeing the amount of options that are there. And so what is the answer? The answer is that, well, it's not going anywhere is what I'm going to say. You know, like okay. you're, you're proposing, like, can we go back? We're, we're not going back. Not going and, back. And we're not going yeah. back. And, and honestly, it's going to continue to move forward. And I think mm-hmm. that we're in dating apps now, but I genuinely think the next level of this is going to be with the metaverse that Facebook is oh, already putting together. virtual reality stuff. Yeah, people are going to be plugged into VR sets and meeting mm-hmm. in virtual cafes, you know, on the metaverse. I think that will happen in the next little bit. But I would say that dating apps, so where can they be used for good? Well, I think where they can be used for good is if you go on apps or websites that are actually aligned with your values okay. and that you're trying to not just use them for hooking up. I think they're yeah. incredibly effective for that specifically. And there are yeah. some apps that can do that. And so if that's what you're looking for, then you certainly are free to do that. But mm-hmm. if you're looking for something obviously more substantial, then find apps or websites that more align with your value set or at least the way that you're going to communicate yourself on your profile, being able to speak more about what it is that you're looking for. And so a lot of people are meeting on these things. This is the way it is. Right. And I don't think it's inherently bad either, because it can provide an opportunity for people who are maybe in different parts of the country that don't really have a sense of community. You know, even like we were talking about the Black Catholic retreat. I mean, everybody came yeah. to us in Louisiana, but we brought people from different places because they felt like they were, in some cases, islands in their respective parishes. And so if there's a young adult that's in Cincinnati that doesn't really have a community of other Catholic young adults, but meets somebody that might be, I don't know, in Chicago, then right. maybe you're at least a kind of a few hours apart. And maybe I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can kind of find time to get together in the weekend or something of that nature. But, you know, you have to kind of start by just kind of setting your profile up appropriately, articulating what your values are. So, you know, how are these apps changing us if we think we have an unlimited supply of other people? Oh, maybe the next person is better than this one and better and better. You know, I keep wondering, how does it change our ability to relate, our ability to commit? All of that. Just what are your thoughts there? It is. I mean, and that's also what the research is showing is that people are in consumer science. Let me say this. There's a book by Dr. Barry Schwartz that's called The Paradox of Choice. Mm. And he's a researcher in kind of consumer science areas. And one of the studies that's kind of this hallmark in consumer science is, you know, they take a group of customers and they bring them into a grocery store. And uh, they compare customers who are buying jam where there's only seven options of jam. Mm -hmm. And so they, what's the likelihood of somebody actually make a decision on a jar of jam and how satisfied are they going to be with their selection? So they measure those people, survey them, ask them that. They compare that then to a group that has 36 jars of jam and how likely are they to select a jar of jam and how satisfied are they going to be after selecting that jar of jam? This is the paradox here. We think that more choice means that we're going to be more satisfied, and that's not the case. What we find is that the group that only had seven to choose from were quicker and more confident to make a decision in the one that they wanted, and they felt more satisfied with their choice. Mm -hmm. The individuals who had 36 options, or whatever the number was, were more indecisive, more likely to just feel overwhelmed and walk away. And even Mm -hmm. when they were to make a choice, they were more likely to feel unsatisfied with the decision that they made. And so we see this when it comes to something silly like Jam, but we can see the application to this when it comes to something like dating apps or social media websites and things of that nature, because we can see that if we're inundated with the number of people that we have as potential options, we get overwhelmed with that. And that's just part of our psychology. And so we're going to feel then that we're not 
satisfied with the choice that we make, that we can gamify it. You know, something like The Bachelor in these reality TV shows, unfortunately, oh, goodness, they gamify yeah. love. And so it's about competition and winning yeah. more than it is about actually, you know, finding real connection, intimacy. And so this, of course, is part of the danger when we overexpose ourselves, so to speak, to too much. So what's the answer? The answer is really limiting the number of apps and platforms that you're on and really kind of committing, I would say, to one or two. And so that you're not opening up the possibility that every potential single person, you know, that's in your age group that clicks the values, whatever checks and boxes that you put in terms of potential, you know, you don't want to be overwhelmed with the amount of choices because it is going to make it more difficult to commit because then you're always going to be comparing. Even when you go on a couple of dates with somebody, mm. you're wondering if like, wow, you know, this person's great X, Y, and Z, but man, you know, A, B, and C just really kind of annoys me. I wonder if I can find somebody else who's going to oh, hit wow. it all. And we know this, you're not going to find somebody who's perfect. No one's going to check every box on the list. At some point, you do have to make a decision and you have to commit. And again, even committing from the dating stage to kind of a commitment phase of kind of being more intentional with dating, that's not the same thing as committing to marriage either. That's just just taking the next step to say, "I'm, I'm willing to kind of step into this relationship and see how far this goes. And whatever time it takes, I'm willing to invest that for the sake of understanding, you know, kind of what's going on and does this have potential. But at that point, you do have to kind of put the blinders on and stop, you know, comparing to other people or even worse, another phrase you talked about ghosting and catfishing. Another term that I learned here recently is called cookie jarring. That's when people intentionally pursue backup relationships. Oh, yeah. So Mm -hmm. so they just have them cookie jarred. They just have them in the back, you know. So in case this one doesn't work, they're ready to kind of go into the cookie jar to get the next one and and just kind of keep those backups going. Boy, talk. I just, to me, it just commodifies the person, you know, that a relationship isn't a person. It's just whatever your experience that you want to have. As you describe it, I just keep thinking the self-centeredness, which is just not good for marriage. And that's the other thing for me. I'm like, why date if you have no intention of marrying? Like, to me, I'm like, that would be one of the first questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talking about that and, you know, the next step after deciding to being together I keep thinking of pre-Cana. My husband Mm -hmm. and I help prepare couples for marriage, you know, marriage prep. But I would say at least where as much as I've traveled around the country and stuff, I've not seen a lot of the same emphasis in the years following the actual marriage. But, you know, I keep thinking, so what are some of the challenges and questions that come up for couples who are in marriage, long-term partnership, however people want to see it? What are the, some of the things that come up that arise for couples after years or decades of marriage? Yeah. So I would say one of the major challenges that couples are facing today is really a couple things, right? First and foremost, like we're really busy. We're all just really yeah. busy and we yeah. all have a lot going on. And so when we get really busy, because we as human beings want to gravitate towards efficiency, then we just automatically say, We've had the conversation that you got, maybe we didn't even have the conversation. We just kind of fell into our particular roles. You know, she takes care of X, Y, and Z. I take care of A, B, and C. As long as you're taking care of your side and I'm taking care of my side, then we're doing all right. And so we can quickly fall into just kind of being teammates or, you know, coworkers. You know, you got your list of things. I got my list of things. You hold down your side of the fort. I hold down my side of the fort. And we just kind of touch base maybe once or twice a week to connect on scheduling, who's picking up who at what time. Or maybe we even talk about the budget, maybe once a month, you know, trying to see where the spending's going. But those things are necessary and that they're part of the relationship, part of life, but they end up being very pragmatic. And so what ends up happening is that all of our touch points end up being very pragmatic. And so this is where something we're talking about Valentine's Day earlier, just having regular date nights 
in a regular day night, it doesn't have to be anything special. It can just be kids. You're going to watch Netflix for the next hour and a half. Mom <laughs> yeah. and I, we're going to go to the back of the room and we're going to go into our bedroom and we're going to drink some wine, yeah. eat some cheese and just have a conversation. A so time. don't yeah. bother us. All right. And unless somebody cuts off a finger or something right. else, you know, like <laughs> if you, unless you're dying, like don't come back here. Right. <laughs> right, you right, know? right. So, right. but what you're doing there is then you're setting the boundary to say, okay, while all these touch points of pragmatism are important, there's still, our relationship isn't just pragmatic. Like our relationship needs to have some real breath, some life. And that's where that romance aspect of it needs to continue to be fostered and developed. But the difference is that when you're dating, you tend to do that unintentionally, like that's what dating is, you know, right. it's just that pursuit of the other person, the discovery of the other individual. We in married couples can fall into the temptation of having already figured out the other person and mm. stopping that pursuit. And when we do that, that's a relationship that's in cruise control and being in cruise control isn't a healthy place to be truthfully, because then what happens is you go down a few years down the line, you realize like, oh, I feel like I'm missing something in my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, you know, we say, kids, you do this or watch that. I remember just putting the kid to bed and we just danced. <laughs> yes. You know, we just put on some music and just dance and just laugh and silly stuff or, you know, any fun stuff that we want to do. Just also, it's a great stress reliever. Let me yes. just tell you, being an adult is stressful, okay? It is. So that's a good stress reliever as well. But, you know, I was, uh, someone shared with me this quote from a psychotherapist, Esther Perel, that mm -hmm. says, most people are going to have two or three marriages or committed relationships in their adult life. Some of us will have them with the same person. Mm -hmm. So this quote pretty much implies that even if we remain in a committed monogamous relationship in a marriage, that the relationship will necessarily need to evolve, grow, and change with the people in it. Yes. Yeah. So I, I have a friend of mine who's a therapist, and when him and his wife celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary, they went away to the mountains in North Carolina. That's one of their favorite spots. They have a cabin there, and they mm -hmm. spent a week. And when he came back, Tommy, he was talking to me in the office, and he said, this is the best quote ever. He said, during the whole week, my wife just kept saying, she goes, I feel like you're having an affair, and I'm the other woman. <laughs> <laughs> So, but the, <laughs> to your point, right? That like, that's what I'm saying. Like the person we married is an eternal mystery, like made yes. in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. And as soon as we lose sight of that, like we're falling into dangerous territory. And so the quote by Esther Perel is beautiful. And so yeah. it, it is, it speaks to the sense that like, we have to continue the sense of discovery. And I mean, I'm not saying that like intentional focus all the time. Life's busy. I get it. You know, there's going right. to be months sometimes where you just can't meet. And I understand that. But as soon as you get out of a wave like that, it's like, okay, well, how do we try to reconnect? I have to say, like, once we had a child, like seeing my husband as a father and seeing how he relates to his child was like a whole nother aspect of him that I discovered and frankly fell in love with. Yes. Again, something new about this person that I'm seeing. And now as we have, you know, for me, my parents, he's seen me go through the process of losing both of my parents. Mm -hmm. They both died. And so that brought out something different in me. It just seems like the ebbs and flows and changes and things in life and with our other major relationships brings out something in us that you discover also in the person that you're with or even in their career, the whole thing. Yes. But yeah, you're right. The idea that, you know, they're just 
this person that doesn't change or grow or have experiences that impact them, that would make them into the different person and who we first dated and who we first married. Yeah, it's true. It's a different person. Yeah. And it should be as you grow over time. Yes, 100%. Yes. So I want to go back to just something you were saying about like discovering the other person. Yeah. Because another aspect then of relationship, you know, if we're talking about marriage is, of course, you know, physical intimacy and mm-hmm. the marital act. And so how do you keep that kind of aspect of your life going? Also, it builds on what we are already talking about. So when you have these moments of discovery of the other person, you're like, man, I like I look at him or her differently. And I can see that there's something new in this person that I didn't see before. Like you should be attracted to that and you should want to make love to that. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that emerges. And so we talk about like spicing things up in the bedroom. It's not so much about introduction of devices and things of that nature, that it's more this that we're speaking about, that this dance that exists, you know, in marriage, you're able to then introduce this new awareness of who your spouse is into the bedroom. And so when you do that, that's part of what keeps it fresh also is a recognition then that like, wow, there's something new to love here and there's something new to make love too. We'll be back in a minute. So how do you think the pandemic though has been affecting relationships? Some of us really got to (laughs) experience family life because we were all at home together for a long time and not even having to leave the house to go work. How do you think that affected some relationships? I think it put a magnifying glass on what was already there. Mm. And so if what was already there was something that was really good and loving and supportive, I think it brought a spotlight on that. And what I saw is that relationships kind of got stronger as a result of it. But then the converse is true. And I saw that also that maybe couples that were needing that time apart to be able to kind of just kind of get through what the pandemic did is that it put a spotlight on those broken parts of the relationship and we're not able to overcome that. For those who were having a difficult time, is there any advice, you know, general advice that you could give? Yeah, I would say that certainly going to counseling. I mean, obviously I'm a therapist and so I'm going to appeal to that because I believe in it. I wouldn't be a therapist if I didn't believe in it. And so I would say start there by meeting somebody who can really help navigate the challenges that are present in the relationship because they are complex and issues are real. And if there are real issues there, I would never obviously discredit them or say, well, just sorry to be light about, but if you just pray the rosary five times, you know, it's going to take care of it all. Like, right. like there's no magic formula there. I mean, there's real right. work that needs to be addressed and processed and, and uncovered. And so finding a therapist that you trust who can really help you with that. Now, the challenge, of course, is that maybe you have somebody who's not on board with going in that direction. And so that's mm. what you do there. But then you avail yourself to good resources and read good books on marriage and, and listen to good podcasts about marriage and do the best that you can in terms of listening. But then you set boundaries and, and you try to do what you can with what is given to you. Mm-hmm. But again, there's it's such a hard question to answer because it, yeah. it really gets into the particulars of the situation. I mean, we're talking about violence or are we talking about, right? you know, like there's a lot of different ways that we can contextualize, you know, that, but yeah. just generally speaking, I would say the best place to start is by meeting with a therapist. Yeah. I always thought the violence is one of those things you better flee because you got yeah, your yeah, life yeah, to yeah, protect, yeah. right? Absolutely. But there Absolutely. is a different kind of emotional violence, at least I'm seeing pop up, in my opinion, as emotional violence that I see pop up in like Catholic social media around marriage. The notion actually, that's a very negative notion toward women about our that we have no autonomy outside that which our husband grants us. Yep. And that that's actually a traditional healthy marriage. And that's how God intended it, that the husband's the head of the household and 
the wife needs to, like, you can't go to the pharmacy down the street or to the grocery store without your husband's permission. And I'm like, that just seems unhealthy to me (laughs) that we are, we are still individuals with autonomy and that marriage doesn't change that. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that or if you are familiar with what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm very familiar with what you're talking about and very concerned by it. Let me be very honest. We talk about romanticism. Sometimes there's an appeal to think that there was a golden age, you know, when everything was working right and everything made sense and culture was in line and nothing was broken. And that's a farce. There's no era of human history that had Mm -hmm. it all figured out. So trying to appeal to any particular era or reclaim, we have to go back to the golden days type of attitude is just not, it's not real. Mm. It's not real. It's the nostalgia for something that, that just wasn't there. And that nostalgia is a false hope and will then hurt people in the long run. So where are we now? We're, we're what's 2022. And we live in a culture where rightfully so women have been given more freedoms as they should have been. And mm-hmm. by virtues of technology and advancements that we've been able to make, we have been able to find more equality between what men and women are capable of doing. And I think we're better for it as a society. And so does that then negate, though, St. Paul's teachings about, you know, submissiveness of wives or how do we fit within that? No, I think what we're saying is that what it means is that there's still a sense of respect and connection and a bonding that marriage alone offers. We think that we've outgrown marriage as a society by these advances that we've made. And I would argue it's not a zero-sum game. Why can't we admit that we've made advances and at the same time say we still need one another and a lifelong commitment is still something that should be valued in our society? We can do Mm. both. It doesn't take away from one from the other. And so if we operate from that, then what we say is that we come into a marriage both from a place of strength and from Mm -hmm. a desire to want to grow and to support one another. And not just out of courtesy, but out of like duty that like, this is what is asked of me. And so we work together as a team. Yeah. And is there something about headship with the man? I guess we we could talk about that. But like, it's not at all what these individuals are proposing or what's being put out there. Women don't have to ask their husband for every little thing or whatever it might (laughs) be. Like, that's just not... That's not the gospel. That's not at all what hmm. Christ was communicating. And there is inherent dignity and worth that's given. And we're both autonomous beings and relationships that work the best are the ones that find that tension between autonomy and intimacy. Whereas it's also said, me time and we time. There's always a balance yeah. between me and we. And doesn't that though mirror the Trinity? The yes. Trinity is three persons, one God, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each individuals, but in perfect harmony with one another. What does yes. that mean? I have no idea. Yeah. But the little bit I know of Trinitarian theology is that the heresies always fall on one side or the other of that, where you say, well, they're just three people that are kind of together. That's a heresy. Or or (laughs) modalism, which is one person in three modes. That's a heresy too. And so recognizing that this tension is present in our God, and if we're made in his image and likeness, then that tension is going to be present within us also. And it starts within our marriages and then within our communities. But there's always a balance between who I am and who I am in the context of other people. And we can't ignore mm, that tension, beautiful. but we can't then say that if we favor one over the other or we lean too much one way or the other, I think we're falling into heresy just like we would when we're talking about the Trinity. You know, I'm so glad you brought this up because it leads me to another question. How does your faith come into play with your role as a therapist? How does it inform your practice? 
Yeah, I mean, so I love my faith and I love what the church teaches. I actually, I still believe it, you know, despite scandals and right. stuff that I've seen, you know, firsthand, mm-hmm. I still believe in the gospel. and I still believe that Jesus came and taught us and performed miracles and died and rose again and ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to guide us. I still believe all of that. Mm-hmm. And so how does it inform my practice? I would say, well, that worldview, if you will, or that lens is going to shape the way that you see people. If you fundamentally believe that everybody's made in the image and likeness of God, then that is going to change like how you approach people. So I would say that that's where it starts is in terms of, you know, just recognizing that we are all created out of love and created for love and for intimacy. And so I always want to kind of move people in that direction. Now, I do work a lot with Catholics specifically, and so that I'm or Christians specifically, so that I'm able to bring that dimension more openly into the conversation. Or just even understanding kind of cultural context questions. When people talk about praying the rosary or going to a conference or going on a retreat, I know what that means and they don't have to explain that. And so we can bring that type of cultural kind of connection Uh um, into the counseling context as well. Well, then how, so then I'm curious then, how did your therapy training and then even the practice of therapy, giving therapy to people, how did it impact? Does it have any impact on your faith or shed any light on the faith for you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's providence, providence, mm. providence, providence, Gloria. I mean, providence. Like, yeah. like life's hard. Yeah, life's life's hard. Life's hard. Life's really hard. Life's really, really hard. Really, really hard for people. Yeah, and for somebody to come to you, to come to me because I have some fancy degrees and just you know open up and share what's going on in their experience, it's it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And so for me, how has it shaped my faith? God invites me to be his minister in that moment Mm. and just to try to encourage people in the midst of the challenges that they're experiencing and to give them permission to ask questions and to not be afraid to navigate their doubts. Those doubts are real and God allows them for a reason to draw us deeper into him. So I would say I've come to believe in the mystery of God's presence Mm -hmm. and in the way that he guides each and every single one of us through the journey of life. And whatever challenges we experience are all part of the process. And so we just have to cling to hope and, and cling to providence in the midst of it all. And so I see that playing out. And cling to providence in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So God's real presence there, bringing those people into you and him being present in all of this and willing the best, I guess, for those who are in marriage that, you know, God wants them to get whatever help they need and you're there to help with that. It's all in his plan, maybe. Yeah. And I'm just a part. And just like, you know, Paul says, sometimes I see it in Apollo's waters, waters just as similar. Like I'm not trying to do everything for somebody. And Mm -hmm. my job as a therapist is always to work myself out of a job and get to the point where people don't need to come see me. And so I do what I can and help them to whatever small little way that I can. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, whenever it's done, if it's a couple months or a few years, I've seen people for many, many years because sometimes the journey just takes a lot longer. And, uh, and that's, that's case, okay, that's case, right? That's fine. Of course, that's fine. That's okay. Absolutely. That's not a negative. Okay. No, no. Because no. sometimes I think people are like, oh my gosh, we're in therapy. Is it bad? Is it good? We've been in it for so long. And I'm like, how could it ever be a bad thing that you're working on something that you want to get right or want right. to get better? You know, yeah. I just don't see what's the problem with that. And um, that counseling doesn't mean your marriage is a failure. Mm-mm. I just think counseling means you want it not to be a failure, I guess. That's correct. And I'm hoping that people hear that because sometimes I think as Catholics, we think, you know, it's just God's grace that we're going to be blessed and as if nothing could ever need help. 
I mean, we go to sacrament reconciliation. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we don't say, oh gosh, my life is a failure because I'm going to get divine assistance and trying to repair things that I've broken through sin with my relationship with God. You know, we aren't going <laughs> to, no one sees that as a problem, right? No, well, some people do. Some people do. Some, mm. te- some people struggle, you know, going to confession regularly, especially if you mm. have a sin that you're committing on a regular basis. Sometimes it's a challenge, you know, to admit that that thing isn't going away as fast as you would want it to. Would like. Mm-hmm. Would like to. So I do think that sometimes there's apprehension there because I think as a whole, we just struggle accepting our vulnerabilities. Good point. And so if somebody's listening to this and wants to know kind of when is a good time to go to counseling, I would say for a married couple, it's really kind of simple in the sense that like, if there's a conversation that you've been trying to have repeatedly, just the two of you, but you can't seem to get past it. And despite your best efforts, you've been trying to navigate this issue or this topic for months and you're at an impasse. That's when you just need a third person to kind of help give a different perspective and to help guide kind of what could be going on as to why that issue continues to be an impasse between the two of you. And then that's it. You know, go seek some help, figure out what that is. And then you learn new skills, you learn new tools that'll help you, you know, for future conversations. Good point. I like that. Yeah. And if you don't find the person right out of the gates, then be patient with yourself as you kind of keep searching until you find somebody. Keep looking. That's a good point. Well, you know, I just want to say thank you so much for having this conversation, this wide-ranging conversation about relationship, about love, about working on relationships, maintaining it. If anything, what I get from this is, you know, when you say I do, it doesn't mean I'm done. (laughs) I do, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, I do, I'm done. No, it's I do, I do, I do. It's a continual Mm -hmm. yes a continual working on things is a continual getting to know the other and love, you know, what you may be discovering in that other person, as well as the little persons that may come from the fruit of your love as well. They add a dimension, I think, to the relationship. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gloria. I appreciate you guiding the conversation and letting me have it with you. It's been a delight. I'm so glad you're tuning in to the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. Oh, and by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and Maggie Van Dorn, and it's engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.